Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Hallo, Mr. Zart. Good afternoon, Professor Data. You just finished your master thesis in our group, and um, I was one of the referees, and um, I kind of know you for, for a while just now, because uh, you started to work in our group quite a while ago. Uh, what was the topic of your thesis, and uh, why is this an interesting one for you? So the topic that um, I wanted to investigate was shape optimization of fluid flows using Lattice-Boltzmann methods and with automatic differentiation. So Lattice-Boltzmann methods are the, the focus of the group that I've been working with for the majority of my master's um, so far. And I'm particularly interested in optimization and optimization of geometry, so shape optimization, topology optimization. So this really motivated me to pursue this topic in particular um, of the ones that were offered to me at the group. Mm. What would be uh, an easy example of a thing which would be optimized in this context? So the first introduction that I had to this was structural optimization of components, for example, uh, various components in the automotive industry, part of a car that you might want to maximize the strength of um, while keeping the weight under a certain certain limit. But this naturally applies to a whole myriad of, of fluid flow problems as well. Um, and this topic gave me a great um, opportunity to combine these two. And with the added interest of automatic differentiation, opened me up to a completely new topic as well. Mm. Yeah, of course, that's not quite clear to someone not working in the field why you have to differentiate in this field at all. Because if you're interested in flow, it doesn't really sound like there has to be something differentiated. Mm -hmm. Of course, if someone uh, knows a, f a thing or two about optimization, there might not um, be differentiation involved. Mm -hmm. Because it's only at the point where you really have problems which are described as partial differential equations mm -hmm. that um, under certain conditions this enters the picture in a serious way. So what is the, the role of differentiation uh, in the problems you are treating? So you can perform optimization without differentiation, of course, and I think if you look at a lot of the, the application, engineering application problems that are out there, they're designing an experiment and sampling points, how their objective functional changes with what their quantities they're controlling in their problem and maybe fitting a curve, fitting a parabola and then finding the minimum from from there. Yeah, and the fitting there is mostly like quadratic um mm. So like um, making a minimum of the um, differences between the points and a, and, a, and a line, which is kind of the best fit. Exactly. And um, we wanted to apply um, mathematical optimization methods, such as line search methods, to this, where we um, update our control based on what we've learned so far about the objective functional. And in line search methods, a popular way to do this um, is using the derivative to pick a direction, um, for example, just steepest descent following along the <laughs> steepest descent of the, the gradient at that point. 
Um, there are, of course, many other methods available, very popular ones, which is a limited memory um, BFGS algorithm. And so we need some derivative information for this, but this isn't so easy when we're dealing with partial differential equations, um, particularly of the kind involved for fluids. And then we have other constraints in our optimization problem as well that we might want to consider. Um, so the automatic differentiation comes into the thesis of we want to design a, a method which is as flexible as possible for the user. And as soon as you're saying to the user, okay, well, you can make an adjoint formulation of this problem and solve that to get your derivatives, you're cutting down the amount of users that this is applicable to. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because probably uh, more than half of the person listening in into our conversation, they already don't know what an adjoint would be. And so they fall definitely under the, <laughs> uh, the, the circle of persons who wouldn't like to work with an adjoint because they would have to learn um, really heavy theory in order to do that. At least, you know, of sometimes if other people have derived a joint problem for you and you just have to take what they tell you mm -hmm. and just believe in that's true, then this is still possible. But finding for yourself the adjoint um, to a problem of partial differential equations, that's not such an easy thing to do. And also we wanted the... Um, so in the thesis title, it says with application to thermal flows mm. as well. And, and we wanted to consider further... Um, maybe a little more complex problems involving thermal flows or even on the horizon maybe uh, turbulent flows where this derivation becomes a little more tr tricky if feasible at all. Um, so yeah, automatic differentiation was very attractive for this because it, it really takes a lot of the burden off the user. It's of course no silver bullet. It doesn't, doesn't solve everything, but it can make things a much, much simpler. This automotive sounds like um, the computer knows how to do this. How does the computer know? So computers aren't necessarily doing, um, at their most elementary level, very complex calculations. They have uh, a set of elementary operations. So, well, maybe a bit higher level, but say sinus function. Um, and we know the derivative of these or for those that are differentiable, a lot of the times the derivative is known. So similarly how you would mechanically differentiate um, these terms, you can ask the computer to just process uh, whichever value uh, through the corresponding derivative term using the chain rule. So we can think of our computer program as a composition, so a big chain of all of these elementary operations and by taking what we know about the derivative of each of these elementary operations and successively applying the chain rule we can build up a corresponding program that will give us our derivative at this point so in a way the computer knows a table uh, of functions which are derivatives of other functions mm -hmm. and then works with the corresponding calculation rules exactly there's a, there's a number of ways to implement this on the one hand we can build a, a compiler that that has this table available and it will take the original source code and give you a transformed program uh, that calculates this derivative or using languages with, um, with features such as operator overloading, we can define a custom type which contains our derivative and just for each of the, the operators say actually instead of 
for example, uh, using a sine function here, apply the cosine function to this operation on the derivative. Yeah. Um, do you really work with the kind of the, that these are functions, or do you already apply this to a certain point in your? Uh, calculation so that you kind of don't really ask for the cosine as it is, but mm -hmm. the cosine of the point. Yeah, so um, what we're doing is evaluating derivatives. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of similarities in this method to, to symbolic differentiation, but in this, this case, then we would build up a tree of operations and we would give that to the user and say, okay, here's, here's mm. the actual function that is a derivative of the initial function you're trying to compute. What we do here is we just propagate the value of the point of the derivative evaluated at that point um which does solve a lot of it obviously gives us less information but it, it solves a lot of problems regarding to efficient storage and simplifying these what can become very unwieldy equations yeah because if we are looking for a full gradient of course you will have to calculate um, a lot of components mm -hmm. of a derivative And um, then you will have to work with that in kind of, I don't know, hundreds of iteration steps or something. What we're doing here is, is selecting which variable we want to track. We, mm. we pick an active variable. So if you are only given one control point for your optimization mm. problem, you don't want... You'd, it's not necessary for you to calculate the derivative with respect to a very large number of variables in your program. You just want to follow that one control variable. And so we're using here forward automatic differentiation where we propagate that derivative information forward along along this composition of oper operations. Um, and we would just select the small number of variables that we're interested in. So this somewhat limits us to um, optimization problems that have a very a relatively small dimension for the control um, as the complexity scales linearly with the number of control variables. So this is really where shape optimization comes in rather than as opposed to so topology optimization, which is very popular at the moment. Um, so what's the difference between shape and topology optimization? Yeah, so... Topology optimization can be thought of as a shape optimization problem, but the nature in which we express the control is, is, is quite different. In shape optimization, you have a, a domain, and you characterize this domain through a space of admissible functions um, that describe the shape of your domain. Whereas in topology optimization, you are describing a function which varies the what's quite common in, in fluid problems, a, a fictitious density uh, within your domain, and you're trying to find the optimal distribution of, of material or of the quantity within your domain, such that your objective functional is, is maximized or minimized. Um, so if we think of describing the shape as the value at points distributed throughout the domain, then you would be talking more about topology optimization, um, which does have its own advantages and flexibilities. It's topology optimization because it can create new holes in the domain. Well, we can't change the topology of our shape problem when we're talking about solid void interfaces. Mm -hmm. um, but naturally, to give a good resolution of your material distribution in your domain, 
you need a large number of design variables. And this is really why we chose shape optimization, because here we can make some, some function space, some parameterized function space, where we have a small number of, of design variables, and this allows us to compute the derivatives quite quickly using automatic differentiation. Yeah. Um, what would be a typical function you want to optimize? Well, a, a common problem in um, fluids is drag minimization. So we might make some parameterized um, geometry and say, okay, find the optimal parameters such that I minimize the drag uh, of this object. So one example that we um, performed was we created a small ellipsoid object placed in a flow at a low Reynolds number, and we saw how the coefficients that describe this ellipsoid were varied to approximate the optimum. Fortunately, we had a, a benchmark optimum for this case. Um, and we could see that this was this was achieved. So this is a good sign that our automatic differentiation system is functioning as we intended it, um, that we could compare it to a, a real result that exists. Yeah. And how would this ellipsoid object look like uh, if it has a minimal drag? So the theoretical um, optimum was calculated back in 1974, and it gives this um, American football shape, this ellipsoid sort of prolate spheroid, as it's described in the paper, with, with conical pointed ends. Um, and we found that um, our calculated form agreed very closely to this. Yeah. And um, if so we have kind of... Um, a lot of ingredients in this uh, problem, which we touched on um, in part, and in part we didn't really touch them very rigorously. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the things where things are still very hard to solve, or what are the complicated things? So there's a quite a big issue when we're talking about these elementary um, operations and when we consider what is non-differentiable. And a big part here is control flow statements. And this is very common in many computer programs to have these if-else statements. Mm -hmm. um, anytime something like this arises, this is non-differentiable. And if we think about, particularly in the OpenLP project, our, our project for solving Lattice-Boltzmann methods um, that we're working on, we are setting the geometry via indicators, which are describing which points in the lattice that we're using to solve our equation on um, are solid or void. Or so whether it's fluid, whether it's solid. And this is a zero-one decision. There's no, there's no area in between. And so this step function is not possible to use in conjunction with automatic differentiation. Okay, so this is kind of a theoretical thing. You have to come over... And um, change the object in order that what would be in the kind of real type thing would um, be the same as the differentiation. Mm -hmm. And so we had to find a solution to this problem. There's shape optimization is a, there's a more mature field than than topology optimization. And there's many different um, ways of approaching problems, but often these are quite problem specific. 
what we wanted to do is really use this same way of of setting the geometry of the problem, but make it compatible with the automatic differentiation tools. So here we we turn to some techniques that are used in topology optimization um, that led us to, as we were talking before about this material distribution, then distributes material with a fictitious density between zero and one. We use similar methods to have a, a region that is neither zero nor one, but somewhere in between, where we can construct a differentiable function which makes this decision then compatible with the automatic differentiation tools rather than having this heavy side step function. Yeah, also in, in using this in order to create over a certain iterative step a new geometry, um, this kind of density which is between zero and one is also kind of a probability that this remains in the final object kind of, yeah. So <clears throat> at the very beginning you might start with a bigger object and then through your flow conditions you see that this edge is a bit too much so this will be rounded and things like that. And um, so the density gets lower than one and then when it's kind of below one half in the end so you take away this part uh, of the geometry as being not in the in the object in the end. So... In this, this is my picture, my inner picture of this. In this area, this this epsilon neighborhood, mm. here we we pick a, a smooth function. So we it's really here where the derivative at this point is expressed. We can't really express the, the derivative in the parts where we have zero and one. Yeah. So it's at this interface yeah. where we're saying, okay, we want to change this interface in a particular direction. And also it's the part where something is happening mm -hmm. in, in the optimization there. Then that's why this kind of combines in a good way. Um, this um, Our OpenLB code is especially interesting because it's so uh, strongly parallel. Mm -hmm. So how um, comes this parallel idea into play into your optimization routine? Um The way OpenLB is structured is most of the parallelism is really taken care of already. Mm. So there's not particularly that much that has to be done um, beyond tip setting up typical simulations in OpenLB. We just have some slightly different descriptors that include, say, an extra field for this porosity, which is associated with this this density mm. we can use to, to create this interpolation between zero and one at the surface and this is really everything beyond this is taken care of by the structure of OpenLB our um, major uh, the whole simulation domain is decomposed into blocks and then operations are carried out and so delegated to these this block level um, to be computed but by different cores for example so we can run it on the yeah. cluster so this means that your optimization also takes place at a lot of different places at the same moment and it's not just at one looking at one um, mm. line or one surface or something exactly we um it depends on the objective function yeah, that you're constructing of course. but uh, we're collecting all of the derivative information that occurs at these non-zero or one porosity um nodes And then using this in some way to to gather the information for an objective functional. Yeah. Then um, a second thing, which is kind of not such um, 
inherent problem in the fluid flow and parallelism and things like that, but which, which is inherent in optimization is you first decide on a direction in which you expect your problem to become better, so bigger or smaller, depending on if you're looking for maximum or minimum. So the direction you find with the help of the derivative, but how far you should go in this direction is kind of a different problem, which is orthogonal kind of, because you have to find different ways to to find this uh, stepwise. Mm -hmm. And how did you decide to do that? So um, this is done using a, a backtracing line search to inexactly uh, update the control. And what we did is, so even though the derivatives are relatively inexpensive to calculate, mm. we can still calculate them cheaper just by calculating the um, the objective functional without calculating the sensitivities. Um, so in the backtracing line search, we just perform quickly um, a number of simulations until we find a point that satisfies an update criteria such as the Amiur rule um, or the Wolf-Powell conditions. But here we also should have a derivative, so... Yeah, then you need the derivative in order to see how far along the derivative you should mm -hmm. go, yeah. Yeah, because it's always kind of fascinating because sometimes, um, at least looking at this for the first time, it very often looks like just a heuristic solution, not really led very much by a theoretical background to do that. And then it always a little bit looks like magic. So at least as a mathematician, when you are used to having algorithms which are proved to be optimal mm -hmm. or are proved to lead to a certain result with some error bounds and things like that, then this, um, this search for the right step width mm -hmm. is always kind of the miraculous part of the algorithm to me. Um, When you started out uh, to work on the project, of course, you were already familiar with the OpenLP due to um, the things you did before. But um, I kind of guess that not everything turned out as you expected. So were there kind of either very good or were very bad surprises in your, in your project? Uh, the implementation took much, much longer than expected. Um... For the first part of the project, a lot of this was really drawing together existing parts and making them work as a whole. This is much easier said than done. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it would pose such a challenge at the beginning, but um, especially it's it's a very big project. It, the work on it has, has spanned for over years. And depending on what the teams are currently working on, um, It's being updated all the time, and to get all of the components that are necessary functioning in a in a good, reliable fashion when many changes have been done uh, in the years since, this was quite a challenge. And of course, we're developing some some new components necessary for this thesis, and you know, to make these all all consistent, this took quite a lot of work. Yeah, that's kind of the thing which uh, you usually understand, not you in the sense of you personally, but everybody, mm -hmm. even persons uh, who have certain experience in working with big projects. And it's always underestimated how long it takes to kind of collect everything working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the, the thing which always happens. Um, of course, you know, in in our 
um, kind of horizont of mathematics we are doing here. This optimization things are kind of the most advanced or most, most theoretical things we asked our students to do. And um, it kind of needs to know so many things So because just knowing about partial differential equation is always necessary to do something. You have to be able to work with this complicated computer code. And then on top of this um, kind of understanding fluid flow in this context, you also have to learn about optimization. And then on top of it, you work with um, procedures um, which are kind of improving how optimization works. So this is really like the high end of what we do here at all in our group. So when you started out becoming a mathematician, would you have imagined to end your study course like that? Um, I think that I've had an interest in these topics for a while. I've always been... Um, quite on the application side of more of having a goal. I want to solve this practical problem. How do I do this? Mm. Uh, as you mentioned, there's, there's many components involved here. I would have liked to treat some of them a little more closely, but this is a, a luxury you don't have so much in a, in a master's thesis where you have to cover a lot of ground in quite a short space of time. So I was also... Um, quite reliant on my advisors and other people in the team to to use their knowledge as well um but i think that this is somewhere where i would have liked to end up from the beginning as something that has a, a real practical application and and also a lot of importance for industry yes and also the things you learn during the implementing part is something you learn for whatever implementing project you would like to do later on in mm -hmm. life and also combining it with coming up with new ideas, how to solve a problem, whatever problem this might be. Yes, I, I see that as well. Um, how did you um, decide to become a mathematician? So what were your reasons to enter this profession? Um, for me, so I did my bachelor degree in physics and I did enjoy this, but I didn't want to pursue. I very much enjoyed the skills that I gained here of whether I wanted to become a physicist, though, however, was a, another question. Uh, I took a small break between my bachelor degree and my master's. And initially I was thinking once again, already more on this application side, uh, maybe mechanical engineering, mm. which I did here as my, well, I guess, Nebenfach would be elective or mm. minor. Um, so then how you end up as a mathematician from wanting to go more towards applications uh, is a, a little unusual. Um, but in this time in between, I had a, a few positions where I worked on some, some problems in, in the context of internships. And some of these involved me reading some mathematical research papers. And I had this, on the one hand, a, a desire to go more towards application. And on the other hand, this real desire to... Some of the things I was seeing in these mathematics research papers just seemed like magic to me. And I thought I really would like to have a much better foundation with which I can solve these complex problems. 
And then I found this course at KIT where I had the option of pursuing both to a certain extent and looking at the the very rigorous courses here in, in mathematics and improve my understanding in that way and also the chance to work on some applied problems as I did in my thesis. Yeah. So this was really ideal for me. Yeah. So did you take uh, mostly English courses here? Uh, it's always kind of interesting for me to see how international persons um, kind of go through our hands. There was... I think I have maybe slightly more desire to, to take English language courses, but um, really I didn't consider it so extensively. I looked at what was being offered in which semester and what fitted well with my plan when I wanted to graduate. And I chose my courses based on this. Mm. And I think that as mathematicians, we're quite fortunate with, with language. Um, it's probably much more universal, much easier to approach in another language as, as many other sub compared to many other subjects. Mm. Yeah, that's my feeling. But sometimes I'm not so sure if um, I'm kind of underestimating the problem students might have in, mm -hmm. in grasping things in German, which is not their mother tongue. But it's also my feeling that it's much easier to kind of follow along the equations. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get certain things in between, the equations speak enough in order to let you understand it. And also compared to that, mostly you don't get things the first time you see them, you mm -hmm. have to work with them anyway. Uh, then the added problem with the language is one of the minor ones. I think that there's there's quite strong mappings between the concepts and the language that you don't necessarily have when coming to other subjects. So if you say a word in a mathematical sense, it means this particular concept and only that yeah. concept. Um, so this makes it much easier to approach. I had much more... Um, reservations about taking courses in mechanical engineering in German mm. where it's not quite as strict with the language and you have a lot more uh, a much larger burden of vocabulary to approach <laughs> problems yeah also sometimes uh, they have um, a myriad of small things they need names for yes and mm -hmm. then you have also to keep that all ready in your head yeah Like, you know, when you become um, a medical doctor and you have to learn all the parts of the body and things like that, you really have to, to name them all, which mm -hmm. are a lot. And so in mathematics, we don't have so many objects <laughs> to keep track of in, in the other language. Um, so in a way, the thing you achieve now with your master's studies is, is almost the thing you wanted to have. I think so. Um, the next step is is seeing which possibilities this gives me in industry. Mm. Um, there are good prospects for mathematicians, but maybe reading through through the job uh, descriptions available, you will less likely see the word mathematician explicitly stated. And I think really it's here trying to convince people of the validity of the skills you have and how that applies to their particular problems. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. You, you know, we um, have this all the time when um, speaking to students in school 
um, telling them what kind of jobs they can do after they studied mathematics because they very often have no idea. But sometimes I have the feeling that also on the other side, people don't really know what mathematicians are able to do. And so um, it's a different story than, for example, hiring a mechanical engineer from Karlsruhe. They have a certain idea what this person is able to do, mm -hmm. and um, which probably is also like only 70% true. But nevertheless, you know, um, they have, a, have an inner picture what mm -hmm. this person is able to do. And with a mathematician, it's not so clear. And so it's kind of a part of our job to tell or show it to other people. What, what I, think, I think this is my main challenge for the, <laughs> <laughs> the next months. Now we also had this in certain projects that we um, started to discuss um, with people from industry and they had a completely weird, in our opinion, picture of what we are able to do and what we are not able to do because mostly it was just the other way around. So what they didn't... Um, allow themselves to propose to us because they were thinking this is nothing for a mathematician. Mm -hmm. This was probably the thing which we were already interested in and could help them with. And the things they wanted to kind of give us um, was kind of weird to us. Why do they think we could, we could do this? <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of an interesting conversation still going on. And it's also kind of changing its shape all the time, which is nice. Because on both sides, so the the kind of jobs you're doing in industry they change through the computer very much mm -hmm. and it's kind of the velocity in which it changes is also improving still and also the things uh, which we teach here at university also change and so it's kind of an interesting time <laughs> so thank you that you took the time to talk to me about the topic of your master thesis thank you very and much and of course I wish you the best of luck thank you and it would be interesting uh, to meet in a few years time and to see um, what kind of results you had in the meantime hopefully I think as long as I um, am having the opportunity to tackle interesting practical problems and at the same time becoming a better mathematician i'll be very happy yeah i believe that 